I'm Wissal Abrams. And I'm Chantal Oppelt. And this is Alchemy in Minutes. Welcome, everyone, to episode three of Alchemy in Minutes. My name is Wissal Abrams. I am a global networker and storyteller. And this episode is very special because it's the first time that we are very intentionally and by design hosting the show together. I am sitting across the table from Chantal Opalt, industrial psychologist by trade and shaman by birth. I'm extremely honored and very excited to be in conversation with you today, Chantal. Welcome. Thank you so much, Wissal. I'm very happy to be here and to be sitting on this side of the mic. (laughs) (laughs) Chantal, the theme for our season one is leadership. Yes. And for someone like you, who walks with people from A to Z of their journey and having to remain intact the whole way as an example, but also as a safety point for the people that you lead. What is it like to have that discipline day in and day out of remaining intact for others? That's a question that uh, not many people ask, but it's a critical question. Um, And it starts with a decision. So when I have a client calling me, uh, doesn't matter if it's an individual client or whether it's a corporate or, you know, it, it doesn't matter the size or the magnitude. There's a decision that I have to make before I even start working with clients. And and I, I like to have uh, three steps in my criteria. The first one is, do I like the person? That's going to be critical. And as much as people think that doesn't matter, it carries you to the end of the journey. So do I like the person? Do I like the organization? So those are the, those are the, just the human questions that I have to ask. And I don't take that lightly. So if there's something about the individual that triggers my wounding, that rattles my inside, that scratches something, then I first do work around cleaning that up for myself. And what do I mean when I speak about cleaning that up for myself? I I have to assess what does like mean. Then I have to assess what is the part that's scratching. And then I have to look at is there something that I can do or need to do in order to clean that up? So is there something that I'm misunderstanding? Is there something that, I, that I'm not prepared to take into consideration? Is there a bias that I have that is sitting in my shadow or my blind spot? Um, so, so that becomes quite an intensive process for me. So when clients come to me, it's not just an automatic yes. It, it has to go through that first filter. And the do I like the person, do I like the organization is my first filter because that's where I can build the, the stamina to commit. The second question that I ask is, what is the actual work about? 
So most people come and they say, I think I want to work on this. And I think this is the problem. And I, you know, and, and as they, you know, so you'll have, you'll have a perspective of what you think the issue is. And the perspective will be governed by your wounding, your history, your background, money, all of those kinds of things. What, I, what I've got to, what I become very clear about is, do I have what it takes for when that initial assessment of the problem starts unraveling? Because it's going to unravel. Okay, so, so my question is, do I have the competence? Do I have the capacity? Do I have the compassion, the emotional awareness to be able to hold the lava when the volcano erupts. Mm. So that's my second question. And then the third one is, do I believe that I'm called to do that work? Not everybody's called to do all kinds of work. And so what makes me brilliant at what I do is, my third checkpoint is, do I believe that I'm called to do the work? Um, and and what is what is what does that question entail? It, in, it entails standards. It entails um, credibility. It entails productivity. So those are the things that I take into account when I say, you know, am I called to do this work? And and then the final piece around standards and credibility, all of those kinds of things, I ask myself, do I have the spiritual awareness to be able to carry this process through to the end? And and we never really know where the end is uh, because my end will be a different end for the client or the client's end will be a different end to my end. And, and I say mine and the client's because we co-create the journey. It's not just about an individual coming in and I'm not part of their process, you know. Um, and so those are the three checkpoints that I have around truly stepping into authentic leadership and and co-creating a healing journey uh, for individuals or for organisations. Chantal, this way of looking through things, through this kind of uh, three-sided prism, you know, mm. it, it, you're going completely from the micro to the macro. So who is this person? Do I even like them? Do we do we have a natural chemistry? Are we connecting? Um, what is their work? What are they actually coming to me with? What are they holding? And then at the same time, the thirdly, is this my work? Is this my portion? Um, am I holding the credibility to take this on till the end? All of this that you walk through... Um, must require you to have a certain vision of yourself, right? Because what you're talking about is ultimately self-respect and self-preservation um, and the ability to care for yourself at the same time or before you can offer that care to somebody else. How did you learn that? Hmm. So it's multi-layered. The first is I grew up in Lavendale, so I grew up on the Cape Flats. And, um, you know, I lived amongst gangsters and 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 they lived amongst me. And... Um, Chantal, for our international listens, listeners, what, what is the Cape Flats? Yeah, so the Cape Flats is, as a metaphor, 
the Cape Flat the Cape Flats represents displaced people. It's the place where people of color were sent to. And if you if you were to have a, a an image in your mind, it's the place where you go to die. It's not a place of dreams. It's not a place of creativity. It's not a place of safety. It's not a place of you belong here. It's not a place of you will have opportunities in life that will enable you to become who you are born to be. So that's the metaphor of the Cape Flats. It's a place where you go to die. Um, and the biggest the biggest piece that for me, where I lived, was called Lavender Hill. So when you hear that, automatically you think, wow, everybody <laughs> would want to be in Lavender Hill. That's, that's not true. Mm. Okay. So it, it's, a, it's a jungle. It's really a human jungle where you've got to fight to survive. And so part of the part of the self-care and the discipline piece that you're asking me about is um, I was 13 years old. We were at our youth on a Friday evening and um, my eldest brother was 17 at the time and we had this green escort. I don't know if everybody goes through the archetype of the green escort that you drive. This is a status symbol amongst people of color, specifically on the Cape Flats. And so we had this green, this three green escort that we that we were driving with to um, to youth, and we'd started youth, and we get to somewhere in the middle of it, we hear this commotion outside, and it's a gang stand, standing outside, and the gang is calling, "Who's the driver of the green escort?" Which would have been my brother, and um, so instead of my brother going out, I go out. I'm 157 meters tall, which is short. I'm 48 now. I was 13 then, so you can imagine how short I was then. <laughs> and I found myself something inside me. I didn't think twice, Wissal. I didn't think twice. I walked to the front of the church doors. This short little thing, us standing in front of this gang. And the leader is saying to me, where's the driver of this escort? And they're saying, the driver knocked their dog. And I looked this man, and I don't know if, well, you have stood in front of a gang. I don't know if many have stood in front of a gang. You know, there's about 20 members. All of them are armed. Uh, there's, there's no sense of respect for human life. Um, and if there's an initiation going on, then best you get out of the way. Uh, none of that came into an experience for me around being scared. I literally stood there and I negotiated with the gang leader to the extent that, so first of all, my brother hadn't knocked the dog, but I'd negotiated with the gang leader just around facts. You know, so when you're dealing with gangs, there's a tribal language that you have to use. There's a different level of respect that you have to engage and that you've got to understand the rules of the game. And so at 13, I negotiated with the gang leader that my brother didn't knock the dog. Um, 
and that he actually needs to leave. And at the end of that engagement, I walked away and life carried on. Um, most of my life has been like that. We, where other people would run away, I go in. Now, some call that insanity. I call that my sacred contract. I call that part of my mission, part of my purpose. Um, and I believe that these pieces about that disciplined piece that you're speaking about, that was dropped into my soul. I don't believe that that was something that I um, found along the way. I, I believe that it was, it was a part of who I am always. Um, and so the self-respect, the self-dignity piece has really been governed by gang mentality, gang rules, um, understanding that there are that there are parameters in which we are able to maintain a particular level of dignity with ourselves. Um, and and I, I fine-tune that for myself. I hone that very carefully. Um, and I listen to my intuition. I don't, and this is not that airy-fairy, oh, listen to your intuition. For me, there's a science about intuition. I'm a scientist by nature, and I will not disregard the information that I get from my intuition, which I believe is one of the things that has kept me safe until now. <laughs> you know, this image that I got while you were talking was when you're flying in an airplane, mm. you know, and they do that whole safety briefing, you know, and then they say to you, if things go down, mm. put your mask on, put your your oxygen mask on yourself first before you help your toddler or the person next to you, you know. Mm. And I just got this image around when you were talking about this got dropped into your soul. You know, you, you walk with that, your, your oxygen mask, is permanently on. Mm. So you are able to jump instantaneously into helping mm. those that are appearing dangerous to the environment because your oxygen mask is on. You can assist, mm. you know, and that, that has to be by your design. That is actually part of your design, which, which is a beautiful thing. Must be lonely, though, right? Mm. And we, we speak about this a lot, you know, the two of us, about... Um, building the capacity for loneliness. What are some of the two tools that you use in your toolkit around building capacity for loneliness? Hmm. At a human level, the loneliness is very real because there are few people that want to understand me. And there's a distinction, right? So... So there are one has to one has to become clear that you know when someone sees you, I, man, you're just weird. You know, I, I don't get you. I don't understand you. What they are not saying is that I don't want to take the time to get to understand you. Okay, which is a very which is very different, right? So those people, I I, I can I can move quickly through those people, right? Because I, I'm clear about that part. Um, so at a human level, it may seem as if the loneliness 
is exacerbated by a very small or tight circle, right? At a shamanic level, the experience for me is completely different. Uh, we had in Cape Town, South Africa, on Saturday and Sunday evening, which was the 26th and 27th of September, earthquakes. The last time we had an earthquake in Cape Town was 51 years ago, right? So before the earthquake hit, I started sobbing. And my husband looked at me and he said to me, what is going on? And I said to him, Something is going, something's going to happen now. And I started sobbing from that heartbroken place. And the, earth, the first earthquake hit at 10 to 9 in Durbanville, in Cape Town. We live in Durbanville. And I started crying at office 8. So I have many moments like that in my life where I know. I knew when my brother was going to die, uh, and that set me on a course of behavior where I, I don't question that. I understand it. I take it as true. And then I, I make sure that my behavior is congruent with what I know. So I am completely connected to everything. How do I manage that? Because what that means is that I'm on all the time, right? So I've got my oxygen mask on and I'm on all the time. There's a big piece around energetics that I've, I've had to, and I've had to walk every step of that road. I've had to understand that if I get intuitive guidance today, it doesn't mean that things are going to happen today. So I, and again, like I said, I'm a scientist, I'll run the experiment, right? If I get intuitive guidance today, I will, I will, I, I sit in the preparation of when it will play out, when it will roll out, when it will come into being, and then I track that date. So I track the end date of the evidence back to when I got the information, and then I have a framework for myself. Now, many intuitives don't know that because you, you get the intuitive hit and you think, okay, it's going to happen today, which will drive you insane, right? And so what I've done is I've tracked. And, so I, and what I've also done, I've started understanding that I have a trend, so this information will take place in two years' time. That kind of information will place, take place in six years' time. That kind of information will place, take place in six months' time. So I have a, a, a system for myself where I can remain sane whilst being connected to everything. Um, and so the important piece around having your oxygen mask on is when you're getting all of this information and input and at a human level, you look like you're lonely, but at a shamanic level, you're completely connected. What the oxygen mask allows you to do is it allows you to just think clearly. Number one, you're getting enough oxygen to your system as a metaphor. Your, your brain is functioning at the level that it needs to. And you don't, and you also understand that you're in a crisis. So the plane is going down, right? So in that moment, you can still be clear. So when you are sitting with toxicity, when you're dealing with power plays, when you're dealing with xenophobia, when you're dealing with all kinds of isms, uh, 
you've got an oxygen mask on, you understand that you're in a crisis and you're getting enough. You're getting what you need into your system so you can think clearly. That requires discipline. Because living with an oxygen mask on can be very claustrophobic. Until you understand this is a part of everything that you need. And again, that's, that's a decision that needs to be made around, I have everything that I need. This idea of power plays, right? I mean, this is ultimately, we can say, for argument's sake, the reason why you have an oxygen mask on in the first place, you know? Um, you're walking around the world, you completely connected to everything, um, and you have to engage. You have to engage people, organizations, um, your everyday life as a life partner, as a mother, as a, you know, leader of an organization. When people engage you with power plays, what are some of the methods that you use to stay sane or to allow the person to um, still do the work that's on the table, not go into shame, around what they've brought into the space. Um, nip in the bud is what I'm trying to get at. How do you nip power plays in the bud as you go along your day? The first thing is that I take it as a given. Mm. I, I'm not blindsided by it. I take it as a given. I don't care how sweet you look. <laughs> I don't care how cool your hairstyle is, okay? I don't care what car you drive. I don't care where you live. I take it as a given. So what that means is that I'm constantly in, I'm constantly assessing where we sit relative to that. So that's the first thing. And then as a, there's certain things that based on my own trauma, and based on the work that I've had to do to integrate my trauma, they are non-negotiables for me, okay? So when it comes to abuse, there's non-negotiables. I will go ratchet on your ass. And I'll do it in a dignified manner. But there are certain things that I will not compromise within myself. Abuse is one of them. The second piece is part of what you're asking is how do you nip it in the bud? How do you stop it? How do you, how do you address it? One of the most powerful questions in dealing with power play and power dynamics. So when someone is sending something to you, engaging it in a very subtle way, sophisticated in their techniques, my question is always, would you treat someone that looks like you the same? Would you do the same to someone that lives in your country? That stops people in their tracks. And it allows them a moment to reflect. What I do with that is I watch what the reflection looks like when it comes back. If the reflection, number one, if there isn't any reflection, then we take the conversation a different to a different level, okay? If, however, 
the individual comes back and there's a split second of reflection and I can see that they are now in turmoil with themselves, then that's exactly the place we want to be. So you sit in your turmoil. You sit with your conflict. I don't need to come in there and do anything about it. Those are the two pieces that I assess. If you do not have space to reflect, then we're going to take this conversation somewhere else. However, if you have a split second of something that scratches on the inside, wonderful. There's hope for us. There's hope for us because people often think that reflection takes you to the serene plane where there are daisies and we can uh, frolic in the <laughs> field of reflection. You know, deep meditative, you know, and it's this peaceful environment. And reflection is, you know, this this place where it's extremely chaotic. Yes. Where you are questioning every single thing about life, about yes. yourself, yes. how you how you got to be here, what why did your mother lie to you? Your whole life's been a lie. You know, and I think this is often um as reflective beings and those that are listening that 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 do this as a practice will know and understand that very sincerely, um, that it's turmoil. It's actually chosen turmoil um and that's such an important piece when i think about leadership mm. you know mm. that we think we need to be these zen monks mm. you know all the time when actually us considering sitting in our own turmoil is is that very thing that's going to get us closer to understanding the issues of our time mm. to understanding how we're going to unlearn unpack um, our own limitations, mm. our own conditioning, so mm. that we can be like you have illustrated so beautifully for us, oxygen mask mm. on, mm. fear disengaged, mm. um, and walk out and meet the person who is threatening our families, our livelihoods, um, who is basing information not on facts, mm. but on power plays, actually. Mm. Um, Chantal, lastly, I want to ask you, you know, sitting across the table from me today, mm. how does it feel to be witnessed in this way? I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it. I and 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 your previous comment, you know, just your previous comments around fear disengaged. You know, we saw that for me gives me fuel. That will fuel me now for the next eight months. It allow because we are co-creating a space and it allows me to understand that also at, at a human person to person level that we got it. You know, you hit the nail on the head. And for me, I when 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 I'm sitting across the table from someone like that 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 gets um, that is not afraid that also has the fear disengaged we can create magic now that magic fuels me I, I I'll carry on and my team whoa <laughs> they'll be gearing themselves. <laughs> Because they know what that looks like, you know, when I'm fueled and I'm going, right, we're going. Doesn't make sense, 
the other people doesn't look like, oh my goodness, why would we want it? But we're going, right? So I, the witnessing piece for me is a, is a very humbling, dignified um, experience. Um, and I've, I've really appreciated the fact that you have taken the time to, to sit with me, you know, in our magic. I've really appreciated that. Thank you. It's my absolute pleasure. To um, our listeners today, this is a very special episode. Um, I'm happy that you were able to join us. Stay hydrated, wash your hands, and um, just also a, uh, a shout out to our team who is present with us in the room today. Uh, the Institute of Applied Alchemy's Anita, Tristan, Beata, who's always with us in spirit, Jill, who's running around somewhere getting batteries for us, ensuring that we are actually fueled to get to continue with the next few episodes. Um, we've got Megan, who's taking photos. You'll hear her snapping in the background. Um, and just to... To all of you who support us um, with our intention to provide alchemy in minutes. Thank you, Isam.